Now let's pray. Loving Father, as we pray, as we think about um, uh, the importance of hearing your word and how we hear it in church, uh, we pray that you would instruct us and help us to um, know better how to glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as Liz said, we're finishing this short series on the authority of the Bible uh, this evening. We've heard about the nature of the Bible, God-breathed, trustworthy, sufficient, Christ-centred. Uh, we've heard about the formation of the Bible, God spoke and uh, uh, people recognised his word. Uh, we've heard about the defence of the Bible, it uh, defends itself, preach the word. Um, and today we're finishing the series by considering a particular way in which the authority of the Bible is brought to bear on us, that is the preaching of the Bible. Uh, it's probably fair to say that um, on average preachers are bigger fans of preaching than listeners. Um, uh, you might have heard ministers described as six days invisible and one day incomprehensible, uh, which is something that people to say uh, to kind of imply what good are you? Um, I've heard of listeners uh, keeping records of how long sermons go for and all the different preachers in their church, they kind of had a database where they kept records of how long the sermon and the average, the, the least average length of sermon, that was their favourite preacher, as if the point of the sermon is just to get it over with as quickly as possible. Um, so the question tonight really is, wh why do we do this? Um, how significant is what is happening right now? Uh, of course, before most people could read, you can imagine maybe it was fairly significant. They'd come to church and they'd hear from God's Word. They'd hear it read, they'd hear it explained because they couldn't read it for themselves. Uh, but now, of course, we all have Bibles at home and we've all got the internet. And you can get the Bible there and you can get comments on the Bible and you can get sermons and some of that stuff is really great that you can access on the internet. Um, so why do we need to do this when we come together? Uh, why do we have to come together at all for that matter? What is happening here anyway? What's the significance of this? The Bible says that what we're doing right now is very important. So I want to talk about, explore the importance of preaching, uh, but to understand that, we also need to understand the place of preachers uh, in the church, because of course, uh, they are the people through whom the authority of the Bible is brought to bear on God's people. Uh, so there are our main two headings tonight, um, the importance of preaching and the place of preachers, um, that they're what's on the outline, I think. Uh, and the main passage I want to look at is 1 Timothy 4, which was read, although we're not going to go through that verse by verse, uh, I'll kind of keep coming back to that, but ranging all over the place, um, which is a bit frustrating, but anyway, that's okay. Um, so if you've got the outline and if you've got a Bible, uh, that would help you to engage in what's happening here. So firstly, the importance of preaching. The preaching of the Bible is an important way uh, in which the authority of the Bible is brought to bear on the people of God what's happening now, as long as, as well as everybody else who hears. In 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul has sent Timothy to pastor this church in Ephesus. It's a bit of a difficult church, it's got some issues, there's some false teaching that's influencing the church and Timothy has been sent there to, to pastor that church and the main way he was to overcome the issues in the church uh, was just to hold the line and give them good solid ministry and in that way sort of see the bad guys off. And the centre of that good, solid ministry was to be his preaching, says Paul. Uh, we heard last week in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul very solemnly, with great emphasis, says to Timothy, 
preach the word in season and out of season and preach means proclaim the word make it known broadcast the word uh, and that involves explaining the bible and applying the bible and exhorting people to obey the bible and paul says to timothy whatever else happens make sure you are doing that you're getting up there and you are making the bible known to people now why is it so important that that is happening i want to start with a false reason uh, and that is because we need experts to understand the bible that's not true uh, that idea, idea has been terribly abused in the history of the church. Uh, you can't understand the Bible for yourself. Uh, you shouldn't bother trying to read the Bible for yourself. You don't even need the Bible in your own language. You just need the church's experts and the church's traditions to tell you what it means. So listen to us, don't bother opening the Bible. But the Bible itself claims to be clear. Uh, Psalm 19 says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the simple can open up the Bible and understand for their benefit. Um, anybody who gives the time to reading and understanding the Bible, sure, it's not easy and you do need to give it the time and the effort. Uh, but if you do that, then the Bible's message is very clear. Who God is, is very clear. Who we are, is very clear. How you need to be saved is very clear. Um, of course, the Bible admits that there are some hard bits to understand. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to get anything from the Bible if you open up and read it. Um, Augustine said, The Holy Spirit has generously planned ho Holy Scripture in such a way that in the easier passages, He relieves our hunger, and in the more obscure, He drives away our pride. So, there's stuff for you if you open the Bible and you read it. You won't understand all of it straight away, uh, but, you, but the, the, the Bible is clear. Preaching will hopefully help you to understand your Bible better, um, but you don't need it to be saved and to live for God. You just need your Bible. If the whole world was suddenly turned into North Korea and preaching wasn't allowed anymore and all we had was a few smuggled Bibles to share between us, uh, the church might miss preaching, but it wouldn't die. The gospel wouldn't vanish from the earth uh, if all we had were Bibles and no preachers. Uh, because the Bible is clear enough on what matters for people to understand. We don't need experts to understand the Bible. So that's a false reason for needing preaching. What is the right reason for needing What's the real reason? It is that in God's plan, preaching gathers and defines the people of God. Um, even in North Korea, the Christians would have an instinct to gather together with other Christians and leadership would emerge in those gatherings and what would those leaders do with the people who gathered well they would open up the word and they sh they would share what they saw it saying um, ever since god first spoke to people and caused that word to be written down he has used preaching to gather his people around his word and to draw the line that shows who his people are through their response to that word um, at Mount Sinai, through Moses, God spoke. Moses wrote it down as he was told to do. And then on the plains of Moab, with the next generation of Israel, uh, they were enter, ready to enter the Promised Land. Moses gathered them together and he preached the law to them. Okay, this is what was written down 40 years ago. Now let me explain it to you and apply it to you, the next generation. And that's the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses' sermons to the next generation. So the preaching of God's written word gathers and defines the people of God they come around it and that happens throughout the Old Testament um, 
there's a preacher's favorite chapter in Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, the exile was over and some of the Jews came back to Jerusalem and the priest Ezra had this big wooden platform built. And um, all the nation gathered before this big wooden platform and Ezra, it says, from daybreak until noon, read the law out loud and then the Levites got up and they explained the meaning of what was read and the people were just standing there listening, weeping for joy because uh, they got this six, seven, eight-hour sermon or whatever it was. Um, so that you see that the, the word being preached, God's people being gathered and defined by the, the preaching of the word. Uh, the same thing was also the centre of John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus himself uh, he preached from the written word, the Old Testament, and the pre that preaching gathered and defined the new people of God. People came to him and put their faith in what they were hearing. And so it goes, as the apostles preached and the gospel went out uh, to the Gentiles in the book of Acts, those who were saved gathered around the preaching of the word. So when Paul tells Timothy to preach the word as the centre of a solid pastoral ministry... Um, it was crucial to gathering and defining the church, especially as there was false teaching there. Paul's saying, Timothy, you just preach the, the truth and God's people will gather and they will trust and they will believe and that will define the people of God. Um, so that's the effect of pub the public preaching of the Bible. Now, of course, in a church, preaching is not the only ministry of the Word. There are plenty of other important ministries of the Word, like small group Bible study and one-to-one -one work and seminars and workshops and other things. But the preaching in the public gathering of God's people, uh, the fact that it's public is important and different. And there's an element of declaration in preaching, which is important and different. This is where the Word of God is proclaimed every week. Um, to the people of Springwood, where do they go if they want to hear the Word of God? They come here, where it's going to be preached every week. This is where God's people gather around that Word and they plant their flag and they place themselves under the authority of God's Word. Um, it's preaching that makes Christianity more than just, okay, it's me and my Bible and God. Uh, with preaching, it becomes the Bible and us, the gathered people of God around God's Word. So we don't each just sit under God's Word by ourselves when we come to church, we sit under God's Word as His people together. You may not always get much out of the sermon at church. You may, you may dread this point in the service. Um, uh, sometimes that'll be the preacher's fault and sometimes that'll be your fault. Um, but by coming here and at least trying to engage in this process, you are putting yourself under God's Word and you are identifying yourself as one of God's people. I come to hear God's Word because God is my God. Now, of course, uh, you might be a visitor here or you might be just sort of checking things out and you're very welcome to be here. But most of you I know are Christian people who come here because you want to engage with God and you are part of this, of what is happening here. Uh, you are showing that this is where you belong. You are planting your flag each Sunday. Um, sometimes people have a fairly weak doctrine of church they think you can go out for coffee with a couple of Christian friends and you can talk about Christian things and they might say well that's my church I meet with my my friends every Monday morning for coffee that's not church because where is the preaching 
Uh, where is the, the, the being attracted and gathering around the Word of God and being defined as the people of God under His Word? We're very individualistic, I think, and, and lots of people think that church is just here to help me in my walk with God, and if it's not doing anything for me, then why would I bother coming? But when you read the New Testament, it's clear that churches were supposed to hear and respond to the Word of God together. You join the people of God to come under the Word of God. Uh, and it's under the preaching of the Word that we are built up as a body and we're equipped to serve one another and we're unified under the Word of God and outsiders are drawn in under the, under the sound of the Gospel. So that's how church is supposed to work and that's the significance of what's going on here Sunday by Sunday and indeed right now. That's the importance of preaching. But of course, uh, for preaching to happen, there needs to be a preacher and we need to understand how it works that the authority of the Bible is brought to bear on God's people through preachers. So this is the second thing, the place of preachers. Um, and given the importance of preaching, it's not surprising that the Bible sees it as a leadership function. The leaders in the church do the preaching. Not all leadership roles in church involve preaching, but it's a key part of the role of an overseer or a pastor of a church. Uh, in church, in our church services, lots of people can get up and speak and they can encourage people and people, that's great, I really learned a lot from that, I was really encouraged by what was sung or what was said or shared or whatever. But the preaching comes from the leaders who've been appointed to teach and that carries an element of authority. That authority can be misunderstood, so I just want to um, try and explore what, what I'm talking about here. We need to understand that it's responsibility and authority in the Word. Uh, three things to say. Number one, the church does need leaders. Uh, part of the way that Jesus orders his church is uh, through giving it leaders. And that's very clear in 1 Timothy, for example, in chapter 3, there's the qualifications for overseers and deacons. In chapter 4, verse 14, Timothy him, himself um, is told, uh, do not neglect your gift which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. That gift is his responsibility. He was commissioned to pastor the church and he's being told, don't neglect that responsibility. Uh, and on that basis, in chapter 4, verse 11, Timothy is told to command and teach these things. Interesting, isn't it? Command God's people to do certain things. There's an authority that's implied there uh, in Timothy. You see that authority elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, it talks about teaching authority. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about leaders weighing what other people say in church. That's the responsibility of a shepherd to protect and to feed the flock. And Christians are told to respect that responsibility. Um, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So some people in a church need to have some kind of authority which is carefully given and that should be respected by everybody in the church. But we need to think carefully about how that's supposed to work. The second thing I want to say about that authority is that pastoral authority is not like earthly authority. Um, the, world he, the world hears words like leadership and authority and it thinks of power and it thinks of charisma and big personalities and of being the man or being the boss, being at the top uh, and we need to be very careful about importing those ideas into leadership in, in the church. 
because often that's not appropriate. For a start, pastoral authority is the authority to serve. Uh, and if it's anything like Jesus, it's the authority to lay down your life for the benefit of other people. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus deliberately contrasted Christian leadership with earthly top-down leadership. He, he, he describes it as lording it over people. That's how the world does it. But Christian leadership, its model is Jesus himself, and he says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Christian pastoral authority is about serving people. And in serving others, of course, we are serving Christ himself, because it's not our work, it's his work. Uh, Paul refers to Timothy in verse 6 of chapter 4 as a servant of Christ Jesus or a minister of Christ Jesus and the word minister means servant literally. The temptation exists for church leaders, preachers to put themselves in the place of Christ, to think I am the saviour of this congregation, you really need me or you're lost. Um, especially when the people want to put the minister in that position which sometimes happens. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is at great pains to, to say to these people, can you people please stop saying, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Peter um, and boasting in your human leaders. Please stop it, says Paul. It's Christ's work and it's God who saves people and who grows the church. This is really tricky because the, the, the human leaders are the people we can see um, this is the age of celebrity pastors whose words are quoted all over the internet, almost as if they're at the level of Holy Scripture. Uh, and we have our evangelical heroes and uh, we get very close to the I follow Paul, I follow Apollos type of error. We're fans of this person or that person. And we are urged to have strategic visionary leadership in our church as if all you need is a good plan and a charismatic leader in order to grow a church. Um, but Christians need to look past preachers and leaders to Christ and preachers need to preach his word and do his work and seek his glory and in some ways just get out of the way. So pastoral authority is not like earthly authority, it's the authority to serve. And the third thing I want to say it is, about it is that pastoral authority is the authority to preach God's words. Um, pastoral authority doesn't reside in the pastor or the preacher. It resides in the Word of God. Uh, in 1 Timothy 4, Timothy's authority is not to command and teach whatever he wants, it's to command and teach these things, uh, that is the gospel and its application to God's household, that is the apostolic teaching. That's what his commission was to do, to preach these things. Preachers have no business preaching their own agenda, only what's found in the Bible. Uh, this is why the task of preaching starts with the Bible. Uh, the preacher ought to open the Bible and the first question is, what does this, what does this say uh, to us? Uh, and so preaching should explain the Bible, it should apply the Bible, it should exhort people to obey the Bible because then the real authority is clear. Sometimes you hear uh, teaching and the it's the preacher's ideas and he's just using the Bible to back them up, whereas it should be coming out of the Bible. This is what the Bible is saying. Uh, that's the nature of pastoral authority. I mean, even when Jesus told Peter and the apostles, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Uh, and even when he said to them in John 20, if you forgive anyone's sins, then they're forgiven, and if you don't forgive them, then they're not forgiven, it sounds like he's giving them a whole lot of authority there, um, but he wasn't giving them authority to decide who goes to heaven. He was giving them authority to apply the gospel to people. Uh, that's what's really being given there. So church leaders have the authority to preach and pastor and order the church according to God's word, but not to rule in their own right. And so in the end, pastoral authority doesn't carry a whole lot of executive power, you might say. Um, I mean, after all, how could church leaders make people do what they want anyway? What, what, what weapons do we have in our armoury? Um, do we have power to offer spiritual credits to people? You'll get a better spot in heaven if you do what I say. No, we don't have any such power. Um, do we wield a really big stick? I mean, do we have the power to, okay, you're being a bad person, we're going to flog you out the, out the back later after the service. Um, they shouldn't have the power to bully people. Uh, they have no power to decide who can and can't come to church. Yes, there is such a thing as church discipline, but even there, spiritual leadership is not coercive. Um, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul talks to Timothy about the people who oppose him and the people who disagree with him and don't really like his ministry and have other ideas and other agendas. And he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Uh, he says that those who oppose uh, should be um, gently instructed um, in the hope that God will bring them to repentance and they'll come to their senses. So there's no kind of chest beating involved in pastoral authority. There's no kind of power plays. It's just the authority to tell people what God says. So pastoral authority consists of influence rather than control. Um, and the influence comes through being as well as teaching. So after all, uh, what could Timothy do in order to... What power did he have to save the people in his church? Uh, well, verse 16 says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So that was the nature of his authority, life and doctrine, being and teaching. Watch yourself, watch your teaching, and then you've got a shot at saving. You'll save both yourself and your hearers. Uh, and you may have noticed, as the passage was read in from 1 Timothy 4, uh, how much Paul labours the need for Timothy himself to be a godly person. Um, it's not just about the words that he says, it's about the person that he is. So he says, you've got to be yourself nourished on the truths of the faith and trained in godliness, not just physical training, but godliness is the important thing. And be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. And be making progress in your own Christian faith and life so that everyone can see, in other words, a fellow traveller, a fellow struggler in the Christian life. So, it's, you see, it's, it's influence rather than control. It's not top-down, my word is law because I am the man type leadership, but rather, I am serving you by giving you Christ's word type leadership and I am also trying to live under that word myself. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter exhorts the elders of churches, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, 
not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Uh, just think of Moses. Right? I don't know how much you know, you've delved into the Old Testament, but think of Moses. You know, he led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He confronted Pharaoh and he led them out of Egypt and with a, you know, saw all of those miracles happen in order to free God's people. And they went up on Mount Sinai and Moses was there in the presence of God and he received the law and he wrote it down. Uh, and then he brought it down the mountain. And then he led Israel through the wilderness for 40 years and he interceded with God for them. And uh, then he preached the law to the next generation before they entered the promised land. Moses is this towering figure of leadership in the Old Testament. Now, what kind of man do you think Moses was? Was he tough? Was he formidable? Was he charismatic? Was he inspiring? I mean, he did all these great things. The Bible's comment on his character is he was the meekest man who ever lived. And that's incredible, isn't it? Um, that is the nature of pastoral leadership and that is the place of preachers. So wrapping this up very quickly, the main encouragement here I think for all of us is um, to value what happens here uh, and to plant your flag under the word of God amongst God's people. And that involves um, sitting under the preaching of God's word which gathers and defines the people of God whether or not you get much out of it week by week, but just being here and gathering and being amongst the people of God is very important. And that involves receiving the ministry that Christ gives to his people through the servants that he gives to the church. Um, not idolizing them, which is not a danger in your case, but respecting them uh, as fellow travelers and fellow strugglers who are trying to urge God's people to live under God's word and trying to order God's church accordingly. Uh, that's what is going on here, and uh, I think it's good for sometimes for us to look at the forest rather than just the trees, and that's really uh, what we're doing tonight. So let me pray that God would uh, work in us to help us to value what we have here. Loving Father, we thank you that we have your word written down, and your word is clear and trustworthy, and you work through it by your Holy Spirit, and we thank you that you gather your people here together under the preaching of that word. And we pray that you would help us all to value being a part of that process, to plant our flag amongst your people under your word as it's proclaimed week by week. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand the process for what it is as we try to order ourselves as a church. Uh, thank you, Lord, for ordering the church in your way and we pray that you'd help us all to play the part that you give us uh, to the best of our ability in humility and love for one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.